Institute for Faith and Freedom at Grove City College presents Liberty Mail with the Student Fellows of Faith and Freedom. Welcome back to Liberty Mail. I'm Aaron James. And I'm Libby Krieger. And we're here at Studio, Underground Studio, Studio. at Grove City College. Thank you to the Institute for Faith and Freedom for putting us on. Once again, find us on YouTube and Spotify. And Apple Podcasts. Yes. And so getting into the first kind of win of the week, we're trying to talk about um, the U.S. Department of Labor working along the OSHA ruling with Mm -hmm. President Biden, ruling against... Uh, the mandate that 100 workers, each employer has to uh, mandate the vaccine. I know you wanted to get down into the kind of the knit and the grit of that. What do you have? Yeah, so the OSHA ruling, so that was whenever over 100 employees at a company, you will be forced to either do weekly testing or vaccination. Um, And so this is basically the government telling employers that they have to push the mandate on their employees. Um, And I think the win here that we're looking at is that the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in the United States um, temporarily temporarily blocked this um, earlier this week. And I think that is a huge win because not only in the practical lens of pushing this back or at least um, a possibility that this will be overruled, um, this is also a win in the theoretical sense of just a constitutional win of saying, hey, like executive branch, this is not necessarily um, your power to do. I mean, and the case hasn't been decided yet. Um, but the the court said because the petitions give cause to believe that there are grave statutory and constitutional issues with the mandate, the mandate is hereby stayed pending further action by this court. So I think that in itself, the constitutional issues in the theoretical lens and the practical lens in the sense that we will be saying no to this until further ruling. That's the biggest part for me is the constitutional issues. So you, we see the judicial branch actually backing up constitutional uh, amendments or rights when so often we will see in the media that kind of the media wants to throw them aside or um, kind of just common talk is like, oh, we're going to throw away the First Amendment because we want to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. So to see actually it happening, the theoretical is actually really important right now. We mm-hmm. also see this in the Kyle House case where the judge, no matter what the situation or any facts is happening, the judge is saying he's invoking his fifth. You cannot uh, kind of step over that mm-hmm. over that line. And so when we keep on seeing this, it's uh, reassuring for Americans, I think, or at least for us conservatives to see that, okay, we kind of have, are losing faith in our system, mm-hmm. but okay. But still some trust in the judicial mm-hmm. side of things. So we're, we're, we're gaining trust and then not losing trust at, at the same time. Yeah. And so this rule that would be put into effect on January 4th, I know the, um, the Department of Labor had a statement too. They said the U.S. Department of Labor is confident in its legal authority to issue the emergency emergency temporary standard on vaccination and testing. Um, OSHA has the authority to act quickly, um, blah, blah, blah. Workers are subjected to a grave danger. And that's kind of their justification behind this ruling. Um, But what I think is interesting is, so if you look at the language, grave danger, what constitutes a grave danger? Um, 70% of Americans, according to the White House, are fully vaccinated. And so, I mean, it's like we forgot there's such thing as herd immunity, and I don't know the exact percentage that needs to be vaccinated for herd immunity, but I I don't see that as a grave danger, especially for a virus that has less than, like, in Pennsylvania, I think it's 0.02% fatality rate. I don't see how when 70% plus the fact that it is a low fatality rate um, constitutes any bit of grave danger that gives them the justification to ram this down the throat of employers in this country. Absolutely. So 
it, it's really interesting that they even choose the grave danger because, as you said, I feel like they know that these the data doesn't support that it is a grave no, danger, no. but it's a common narrative that they just push and push well, and push. Well, they're trying to push fear, and that's like the biggest factor in all of this is – and now with um, the FDA, FDA authorizing the vaccine for, for children. kids age yeah. 5 to 11, I believe, I think it's, it's also a fear thing with parents are like, what if – what if you mm-hmm. have to get it? Like, now you can. So, um, again, I think it's really utilizing the fear that humans are prone to to push down their agenda. Um, something – oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you'd think that the left would kind of push off of these uh, narratives as they just saw that they took a sweeping loss mm-hmm. in the elections in Virginia and um, even – I think it was Seattle, right? And so these programs that they're saying, okay, we're, we're going to focus on other things other than, uh, like, children – or education or families Mm -hmm. and then they're like no we're more important about uh what we want to talk about Mm -hmm. and then constantly middle america is rejecting what they want to talk about and they just keep on pushing yeah and so another story that i saw recently that's kind of along these lines is um so we also we all know that the supply chain is not doing the best right now um and there was a letter i think from like some sort of trucker association and a conglomerate of supply chain Hmm. um groups um that they were basically like begging for a loophole from this vaccine mandate because there's already thousands of trucker positions open because um, it's just hard to find workers right now. And they estimate that they'd lose 37% more of their workers whenever already this is um, impacting the supply chain so much if this OSHA ruling were to come into effect. And especially, I think at least they're looking for something that would be, I I think it was pushed back from December 8th to January 4th because they don't want it to impact the supply chain around the holiday season Mm -hmm. even more. Um, But again, like the the truckers especially are like really seeing the impact of this. Um, And so I think that's kind of, you're seeing the actual real life ramifications of this sort of policy. Mm-hmm. And to that same kind of point, you see labor unions stepping forth and making comments, uh, the trucker union, unions. And then even in Florida, I know that uh, Governor DeSantis is kind of taking a step of saying we might uh, either outlaw or kind of ban OSHA mm-hmm. from their state. Or I don't yeah, know how some, that would really work. I forget. Work. I didn't read the whole <laughs> article, but I know something about yeah, stepping so get back rid from of OSHA. OSHA. Yeah, just to get their kind of power. Mm-hmm. It's like a, an overreach of executive power into mm-hmm. states in state rights or I feel like even labor unions think that this is an overreach, which is really surprising because usually the labor thinks union... it's an overreach, but the <laughs> Biden administration. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So I think, um, and something else that you mentioned that I want to kind of jump off on is how the, the Democrats especially are like, you think that maybe or the administration would take a step back after the democratic loss in Virginia, after seeing like cultural issues mm. are very important. Um, but I think the thing is, Republicans don't capitalize on it in the way that they could. Um, seeing that education and transgenderism are big issues for people right now, I think recently they launched some sort of like LGP, LGBTQ Republican group. Um, I don't know if it was through the RNC, but I, I know Michael Knowles was talking about that this week. And I think it goes to show that clearly we the, the Republicans are out of touch with their base um, to to do that right after a win on certain cultural issues. So I think even though maybe the Democrats are out of touch with a lot, I think the Republicans are just as out of touch. Mm-hmm. Kind of surprising, but I, I like your point. I didn't expect you to kind yeah. of, kind <laughs> you of didn't sh- expect that one from me, did you? <laughs> but I, I agree. Like you see, kind of catastrophe on both sides in the sense that 
there's just this growing disconnect between the leaders of the parties and just yeah. middle constituents. Hey, I'll I'll, uh, I'll defend conservatism, not necessarily the Republican Party. So that's good. That's my discrepancy. That's liberty <laughs> for you guys. Exactly. Um, so kind of going, not really going off of that, but um, the next win, which I think is really interesting. Um, it well, it kind of at least going ties with the, into the, 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 vaccine, the children of coming vaccine, into the vaccine children. Yeah. Um, so Matthew McConaughey, who is a big actor, most of us probably know him, um, he spoke out this week on the vaccine mandate. And so he's vaccinated, his wife's vaccinated, he said his kids aren't as of now, um, but he's kind of just saying that it shouldn't be a mandate. Hmm. And even though that's not like a huge policy win or anything like that, again, I think it's important to take these pop culture wins when we can. Um but the the bigger issue, I think, with this is kind of a loss or an indication of a larger loss is that the personal has become the political in every sense. Matthew McConaughey is by no means a, a scientist or a, a policy person. Mm. Like, why do we need to know his 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 stance on everything, on vaccine mandates or vaccine for kids? Like, why now can we not have actors who are just actors? We have actors who are giving their political opinions on literally everything. And you saw that with... Um, athletes too. Mm, I'm kind of mixed because yeah, that's like a cultural kind of a battle in itself of like, do we want this really them kind of supporting what the good is in our society? But at the same time, it is what it is. And when we have voices that keep on kind of speaking out against a common narrative, um, I feel like we just need to like push their narrative forward. Even mm-hmm. if we don't, we can come at a crossroad at one day where we're like, okay, we're going to stop even talking about these kind of people because mm-hmm. we don't find their uh, voices to be credible, anything yeah, like or just important in like the realm of politics um, or good for our society. So, but right now, every time this happens, I'm trying to work with what we got. Mm-hmm. So, no, that's a good point. McConaughey coming forward or any of these like NBA, I know a lot of them kind of come out with statements. They go, "Okay, the right's going to champion mm-hmm. me, the left's going to criticize me. I don't care." Like a lot of them come out and they're like, "I'm not doing this for any political, political branch." Purpose which I think here at Liberty Mail, we're like, okay, that's what we're going to recognize in mm-hmm. the media. We're going to recognize that these people are just fighting for liberty or any kind of rights that we see as a win in America. And McConaughey is doing this here again. He's saying, I need more information. And and that's just a common yeah. theme of, of mm-hmm. every American is that they want more information when they're hesitant about this vaccine. Mm-hmm. And he's by no means, I don't believe, a conservative. Is he a conservative? Um, no not, that, not that I'm aware of. At least it doesn't seem like he's... He's a Texas um, boy. He's what? He's a Texas boy. Okay, maybe he is. But, I mean, I think still it's not like a hugely conservative stance, but it's still just more like the common sense, like, okay, I got it, but I don't think it should be forced on people, especially children. Mm. Um, And to go along with my point earlier, I guess my problem is we've come to a place in this country where you can't not have an opinion. And although I think it's good to have opinions by by all means – you can't. That's why I think it's so hard to be friends with people now that are on a different side of the spectrum with you, um, because now everything is like, well, what do you believe on that? Like everyone is defined by their political beliefs, um, and that's why I think it's harder to come to the table if that's like one of the criticisms of like the modern day political scene is, mm. and it's because of stuff like this where the media is asking every actor, every athlete, their opinion on everything, and simply we don't need to know all of that. Yeah, it, it is pretty uh, upsetting to see just how how much that, like, common unity between even friendships is kind of, mm-hmm. like, uh, fading away. Exactly. That you can't have these conversations. Um, 
it's definitely happened in at least my past that mm-hmm. I've have been able to have these conversations, but then you do hit a point where, okay, we're both kind of, someone is going to spit out a talking point that they saw or read on the line. Mm-hmm. And then the, what we don't have the facts right in front of us and it kind of just deteriorates that kind of civic uh, conversation just between friends, which mm-hmm. is, I, I, I just read Aristotle that friendship is like the basis of the, the, the unifier within mm-hmm. any uh, city state. Yeah, I know, like, personally, like, I lost one of my best friends in high school from political conversations. That that wasn't on me, but, I mean, (laughs) it wasn't my choice to end the friendship. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, so I know, like, it it is something that most of us, especially, I think, on the the political right, have felt, like, discriminated against um, based on our beliefs. Yeah, my kind of hope and and optimism with this is that there are majority of Americans that that see that and recognize mm-hmm. that it's kind of eroding friendships or eroding even like family relations yeah. at Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and they're so tired of it and they, they'll make memes and like roast people who take it kind of mm-hmm. seriously and, and go at each other's throats and they want to kind of just get over this hump in American uh, political history. Yeah. And I think also something from this is like you're seeing more of a, a common sense middle mm-hmm. where the farther the left goes to be more progressive, the more you're going to have people left in the middle who are like, I don't know where I fall. I don't really consider myself a Republican, but I'm not this left. So I think, and that is something that the conservatives can capitalize on and try to fit the the common sense kind of thing with just, we don't need mandates, anything like that. So I think um, the farther the left goes to the left, mm-hmm. the better that is for conservatives to be able to have an opportunity to seize the middleman. Yeah, that kind of like uh, political theory of like, uh, the party kind of split in, in mm. two leads into our next session where we had this bipartisan infrastructure bill and we have constantly the squad, which is uh, like six progressives that vote mm. against. Is it six or four? Six. Oh, okay. I'm very sure it's six. But they, Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but they keep on voting against the Democratic Party. And I think that's almost a testament to, yeah, you're right. There is this middle America that... Like, okay, they'll say they're Democrats, like Virginia Democrats. They're like, I want to, I've never voted in Republican in my life, but this one election, they mm-hmm. voted all red on the ballot. Or like Mansion Democrats, mm-hmm. or Kristen Sinema. Yeah, absolutely. Cinema. And like, we see this in the Senate and we see this in the House now mm-hmm. that, okay, there is a little bit of like maybe a faction or a voting block that kind of splits away from what the Democratic Party is yeah. and wants their own way. And they're kind of clashing heads with either Nancy and AOC and all these different arguments. Oh, Nancy. Yeah. But going more into detail on this infrastructure bill, uh, the bill passed uh, 228 to 206. There was 13 Republicans that voted yes for it, and they pushed it through. That was the main uh, reason it got passed. It's a $1.2 trillion spending bill. Nice little early Christmas present for all you listeners. <laughs> um, oh, man. And just a quick, Big Christmas gift. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's definitely a lot of confusion surrounding this bill. Um, there's a, l- a lack of clarity in the news about what's in it or even from President Biden's uh, mouth, there's a little lack of clarity of <laughs> cohesiveness. Well, probably also because, I mean, whenever the bills, that $3.5 trillion, the bill's going to be very long. I don't think the senators and congressmen themselves mm. have gone through every single page of it. So it got cut down to 1.2, though. Oh, okay. uh, the original proposal was, was three. Right. So they nearly cut in, a little more than half. But I wanted to, like, go in so... When we think about infrastructure, they originally used as, like, our term in that sense is, like, building, repairing roads, bridges, railroads, and ports. And now under President Biden, it seems like he's almost going for, like, an FDR kind of feel where he's 
expanded infrastructure into human and social infrastructure. Mm. And I, it's kind of interesting to seeing him try to want to build that legacy towards, okay, I'm going to go whoever thought about social infrastructure when they think about uh, infrastructure. Sounds like we're changing the definition of terms. <laughs> it happens quite a bit today. It does happen quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's really interesting. I have personally have not done a ton of research on the infrastructure bill itself. Um, I'd be interested to see, so 228 to 206, who the 13 Republicans were, why they voted for it, and why 206 voted against it. Because mm-hmm. I think, I mean, that's a big chunk to vote against it. Yeah. So I'm sure there's still like a good amount of controversy in it. Um, the statements from the nose is what is very interesting, which I don't think it's come out. But you're right. I want to see what they have to say about it. Yeah, but there's like, so let's look at what is even in this bill. We have billions, $110 billion for roads and bridges. Mm-hmm. There's railroads, power grid, broadband. My favorite there's- of these is $80 billion for Amtrak. Supposedly mm. Joe Biden uh, or President Biden rode Amtrak when he was a state senator all the way to D.C. Oh, from Delaware? Or yes, yes, Jeff from Delaware. And so, I mean, even myself this summer, I'm going to be trying to ride Amtrak. Oh, there you go. If I'm doing D.C. work. Yeah, maybe but the infrastructure building. I always loved then. trains growing up. No, I I enjoy <laughs> trains. I've only been on a few times, but... Um, I'm biased <laughs> on this one. There's no facts behind this. That's Just okay. Conjecture. That's your opinion. Um, what, so... The social infrastructure part of that, is this the, the child care and the universal preschool then? Is that yes, kind of correct. Um, interesting. And I think those are the two main ones. Uh, there is a, so, uh, a company security net, which is uh, here. It specifically is targeted towards um, impoverished communities. Mm-hmm. And I had a definition <clears> up, but. So we're looking at whenever you say like FDR type thing with like the New Deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of FDR, so <laughs> if that's what this is. No. Well, I'm, other than the um, – so the the company security net is imposed by uh, – it's almost imposed by the squads or the more progressives of the Democrats. And that was their – if we don't put this in, we're not going to sign it. It's mm-hmm. not going to pass. So the bipartisan effort was to – we're going to include this, but Republicans required that within a year or two, I think, that they have mm-hmm. to show that it doesn't add to the deficit. Okay. Interesting. Um, so there'll be more data coming out, out on that, and I'm sure in a year or two we'll actually have a revote of mm-hmm. whether they take this clause out of the bill or not. Um, I don't think I believe that if they do take it out, everything else will still be passed. Um, but it's really interesting. I'd, I wanted to see how kind of the modern American or average American responds mm-hmm. to this. Uh, and see what they think about this company security act, which yeah. is, it sounds like it's for big companies, but mm. it's it's for the uh, impoverished. Yeah, it's it's hard, I think, to really get an understanding of how many Americans would agree with this. Whenever it is such a big package, like mm-hmm. you could agree with parts of it and and not any others. Um, and I think that's what's hard is what is this called? Like an omnibus, where they just like throw so much. Or I guess it's the spending package, but they throw so much in there that it's really hard to understand like what even is in there as an American even as like the congressman a lot of them don't know themselves um, because they don't have time to read it and so I think lots of times it's easy to get like pork barrel in whenever it's such a big like omnibus bill Um, so I mean I'd love to get Americans read on it but 
it's hard to do that when we don't even know what's in it. Absolutely. I mean, and you try to go to uh, gov.com and read through it or at least just see what like uh, table of contents has and mm-hmm. it says 1,200 pages. Like, and then I read a report that was like the average length of a Congress report or a bill was almost like less than 50 uh, yeah. 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Yeah, how much is just like jam-packed in there now? Mm-hmm. They do sneak a lot in. I think the most interesting part about this whole infrastructure bill is that so – in the kind of like process of passing this, we had to extend the fiscal quarter, or not quarter, but extend the fiscal year, mm-hmm. um, or just raise the debt ceiling is yeah. a common term. But now that is pushed back to December 3rd, right before Christmas. Merry and so Christmas. It's, it's, it's coming up real soon. And I really, part of me feels like they're going to let it, uh, let it not be any fixed or anything, mm. right? And they're going to let kind of like a holiday break Interesting. in government. Um I don't There's know. There's going to be a I, lot of hardcore media like coming out their throat, though, for it. Yeah, that will be interesting to see. I personally don't know enough about, again, about this whole process. I'd love to love to read more, especially from, from the nose and why they, if they really thought there was, like, a better way to do this or mm-hmm. if it was more of, like, a stubborn thing. It's just, like, we're not going to vote for it because it's a democratic thing. Yeah. Um, so I think that will be interesting. I'm sure we'll see some reports of that coming up. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be nice to follow what the Republicans do with this debt ceiling whether they kind of want this to look bad or what their public statements say about yeah. this, like, oh, we're going to work towards um, helping Americans. Because if mm-hmm. it does shut down at midnight on December 3rd, like they go into the government shutdown, there'll be all these government jobs mm-hmm. that just stop. Yeah. And so it will be a big uproar. I remember like back in high school, maybe there was one government shutdown for two weeks yeah, and like that. very upset teachers and everyone mm-hmm. just is kind of talking about jobs. it. Something else, though, I think that, no one talks about anymore is the debt. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we at? Twenty-eight trillion or something of that sort. Like, it's just below thirty, I believe. It's up there. Um, and it's not even a real number anymore to I think most Americans. Like, it's just a concept, an abstract construct concept that we can't even. That's like, what a lot of people say. Yes, or believe in. Well, I mean, but like, we don't even consider the deficit or trying to like balance any sort of budget. Mm. Like, how? What do we think is going to happen to the future generation who has to actually? foot the bill. I mean, this is going to be us and our kids from here mm-hmm. because clearly no one cares about it now. And maybe I don't know what happens to that, but I just think there's only a few congressmen left who even like mention the fact that we should be fiscally responsible. I really wish I could remember the congressman's name, but it was back in 2018. So I remember in high school, we did a whole, I did a whole like kind of research into it, but they, they were trying to propose. Was it uh, Rand Paul? No, they're no. trying to propose efforts towards, uh, just kind of working on the deficit over the next like 10, 20 years to mm-hmm. decrease it and cut funding to certain programs. And it could not get signed. It was a bipartisan effort. Um, I really wish I could remember it. But yeah. the thing is, the last it's time just we saw something like politically that. disadvantaged. Like it's a disadvantage to want to do that because that means you have to cut funding places and your mm-hmm. your constituents don't like that. And yeah, it's not does a, winning, the left. a winning ballot to be like, yeah, okay, I'm going to cut exactly. funding to this. And so this I think and this. it's going to have to get really bad until anyone actually addresses it. But that's a whole other issue. <laughs> fun, fun, fun. <laughs> well, also something we forgot to mention is Happy Veterans Day. So we're filming this Thursday. We'll probably be released maybe tomorrow. Um, but, yeah, thank you to everyone who's served our great country. We really are thankful for that. And little exciting announcement. We're going to California today to film some more Man on the Street content um, at a Young America's Foundation conference in Santa Barbara. So that will be really fun. Um, mm-hmm. And happy Veterans Day one more time to everybody. Um, the history behind this is awesome. 
Armistice Day signed in World War One on this date, November 11th. And so when we look back, kind of look back to World War One and World War Two. We got switched over to Veterans Day, and we're thankful to all these Americans, especially that gave their life, and then definitely all the Europeans and mm-hmm. just around the world that kind of fought for to fight against and fight for freedom. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this man on the street that will be coming up later in a few weeks once we get the content, edit it, and everything like that. Um, I think this will be especially interesting because it's – it's in a group of conservatives, um, even though we did it here at Grove City, mm-hmm. so it's relatively conservative. These are students who are very outspoken, conservative, and passionate. Exactly, and to, yeah. to see what they say is conservatism, whether they believe it's more of a cultural thing, traditional, um, or if they reduce it to economic terms, too, that will be really interesting to get like more of a litmus test if you're a really engaged conservative student. Um, so thank you again for listening to Liberty Mail this week. Uh, we'll see you here again next week. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube or Spotify, Apple podcast wherever you're listening or watching to this um, and we'll see you again next week thank you for more information on this podcast or other programs please visit faithandfreedom.com